everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Master Pods. This is a short podcast series which gives master students a chance to talk about their research. I'm Olivia Lestant, and today we will be talking to Laura Mesna. Laura has been researching the development of bus rapid transit systems in sub-Saharan Africa, and questions like, why bus rapid transit systems? How does it affect others involved in the transport sector? As well as, what are the obstacles in implementing it? So with these questions in mind, let's just get right into it. And here's Laura to tell you more about it. So if you've ever been to sub-Saharan Africa, then you might have seen these buses, these mini to medium-sized buses. They're called matatus, they're called trotros, they have a lot of different names and I'm probably pronouncing them incorrectly, but they're part of the public transport landscape in a lot of cities in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, they're very flexible, they're demand-driven, they're unscheduled, but they also come with a lot of disadvantages as of they're not environmentally friendly, uh, they drive too fast, they operate after a target system, which means that they um, don't get a monthly salary. And it's not very good for a lot of the paratransit workforce. That's how I call them. A lot of people call them informal workforce or informal public transport. Um, the correct wording, and that's also what I'm going to use, is paratransit. And to counteract that, one of the interventions is a bus rapid transit system, a BRT system. That means that buses operate scheduled. They have uh, one line on which they operate. They, you like buy a ticket before you get onto the BRT. But once a BRT is developed in such a city, that also means that paratransit has to move out of the, of the um, streets because otherwise you have two competing modes of transport competing against each other. Um, and the question is, how can these two modes operate successfully with each other, benefit from each other even, uh, without the paratransit workforce uh, losing their livelihoods? So what, what drove your interest to this particular topic? I am a huge supporter of public transport. Uh, I realized that when I was growing up, a lot of my friends were not able to go home after we went out because they lived in smaller villages outside and then they had to crash at my place um, instead of having some sort of an encompassing public transport system where you're really able to live in the countryside but also be able to flexibly commute into the city. Um, so it's so important, uh, the inclusion of vulnerable groups, you know, also making public transport wheelchair accessible. Like these are all the, the really big questions if we want to have a sustainable future where people don't rely on cars that much. Um, so I was really interested in learning more about that. All right. That sounds super fascinating. Um, I was thinking before we talk more about your thesis, let's do a rapid fire round. So we'll get to know you with 10 quick questions that um, I'm going to ask you to answer with three words maximum, right? All right. Are you ready? So what's your name? My name is uh, Laura. Where do you call home, Laura? I call Germany home. What's your educational background? I did a Bachelor of North American Studies and Economics in Berlin. Okay. What is your uh, primary focus in sustainable development? Uh, social. Social issues. Okay. Um, what is the word that you use most in your thesis? <laughs> and can you, estimate, can you estimate the number of times? Yes, I can. It's socio-technical by 98 times, followed by therefore at about 70 times. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's, what, what is your recommendation to deal with the thesis breakdown? Uh, I listened to German rap and enjoyed beautiful Swedish nature. Okay. What an unusual response. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good combination. It sounds like it. I like German rap. Um, what's your, what's the longest streak you've been in your comfy clothes? Um, I'm wearing my master of sustainable development sweater for, I think two weeks now. 
and gray sweatpants. So it's a great, great outfit, <laughs> gray fit. Nice. All the way. And it's sustainable cotton, I think, right? Um, what's your favorite Swedish word? I love when Swedes say, herregud. You can probably pronounce it better than I do, though. <laughs> herregud. Yeah, I don't know. What, what does that mean? Oh, my God. So, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Herregud. Probably. I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a piece of advice for... Uh, future master thesis writers. Um, I would say choose your supervisor wisely. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've heard very various stories about great and terrible supervisors. I had a great one. Really pushed me, really looked for things that I in the beginning thought weren't that important. But in the end, I'm very grateful she did. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a sustainability tip? Um, I've been falling in love with this website called Zucker und Jagdwurst, and they offer vegan recipes of traditional German dishes. And also they have a vegan Ikea week, um, which I think is awesome. So trying to eat less meat and trying out new recipes. Um, Okay, well, that's fantastic. Thank you. And uh, now let's talk about your work. I'll start with a uh, simple yet practical question here. Uh, What problem are you solving and how are you solving it? I'm solving what kind of interaction approaches between BRT and paratransit are successful and what are barriers and corresponding measures you have to overcome. And I did this by um, doing a literature review as well as semi-structured interviews. So I interviewed about 13 people. Most of them are Scani employees who also uh, are involved in my thesis, as well as people from the union, from the academic side. Um, Unfortunately, no paratransit drivers. Do you want to walk us through your findings or your results? I would love to. Um, my, my first big finding was that all of my interview partners favored BRT over the optimization of paratransit. Um, and that has multiple reasons. I think mostly because it's more environmentally friendly, because it's scheduled, uh, because it's more accessible to vulnerable groups. Um, there was only one person who said that they would rather work with what's already there in a country or in a city before uh, introducing a new transport solution. And uh, then the second big thing was that I found four different approaches on how BRT and paratransit can interact with each other. So the first one is competition, where nothing really changes and the two modes just compete with each other. The second one is a hybrid form, where you find the most appropriate mode of transportation and BRT and paratransport kind of complement each other. Uh, the, sec- the third one is that paratransit gets replaced completely and you only have BRT that caters um, towards the entire city. And the last one is prohibition. So no, no paratransit at all. So competition, hybrid coexistence, replacing of the paratransit by the BRT or the complete prohibition of paratransit. Perfect. Exactly. So these were my four categories. It proved pretty quickly that competition and prohibition are not very viable. Um, competition just because, you know, BRT is there and paratransit then might use its roads, which makes the um, BRT not very competitive in the long run. Of um, prohibition because it's not feasible. Um, Even if you try to prohibit it, uh, paratransit is still going to be there. That's at least what I read in the studies. So for most of the people, um, some sort of of a hybrid version was the best idea. Um, And that can take many different forms. uh, But the most viable one was when BRT works as the trunk, so as the main line in the city, and the paratransit works as a feeder, which brings the passengers to the BRT trunk from more remote areas. 
Mm, that sounds like a very efficient way of transporting people. I think so as well. I think one of the uh, disadvantages of that is that people are afraid that the paratransit operators then would make less money because they're not operating and we're, you know, in the big city. But uh, there is a study from South Africa that showed that that's actually not the case. So depending on how you structure it, it might be that paratransit earns the same amount or even more money than in the system before. Mm. Um, something you said earlier about uh, vulnerable groups being particularly uh, advantaged by a BRT system is, can mm -hmm. you explain a little bit how that uh, works or how they would benefit from that? So the, the advantages of a BRT system is that it's for one has its separate lanes, but also on the other side, it's that the bus is on the same level as the stations, which means that if you are, for example, wheelchair dependent or you have a, um, a stroller, then it's very easy to go from the stations right into the, into the bus rapid transit. Mm. Uh, that's for one. But also the other side is that it's more safe. It's much more safe. Uh, they don't have to drive that fast. It's scheduled. It's, um, yeah, it's a safer option for many women and which we can also place into vulnerable groups. Okay, yeah, that makes that makes sense. Did you encounter any specific challenges in your thesis? My biggest challenge, and I think that's what's lacking in my thesis, is that I was not able to get in contact with Paris transit drivers. Um, and I think, you know, I write my thesis and one of my biggest takeaways is that you have to talk to everyone. You have to talk to the operators. You have to talk to the drivers, to the entire workforce. And I am not talking to them myself. Uh, I kind of tried to counteract that because I had someone, one of my interview partners had been to Kampala, Uganda and researched and interviewed paratran or paratransit drivers. So I was able to get his data, um, but it's, of course, no replacement. Okay. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you think will happen to this field or if um, this kind of research or the, this kind of transport system will become more popular? I definitely think that BRT is going to be part of our future. Uh, it's currently built in Abidjan. So they're doing uh, some sort of a design study right now and thinking about how to integrate paratransit um, And in general, it's going to be an interesting question of what to do with paratransit. Because even if you look into the very successful systems, for example, in Curitiba, um, you still have paratransit there functioning and working, although you wanted to have a BRT system that kind of caters towards the entire city. So from my point of view, you kind of have to focus more specifically on maybe one sub-Saharan African city where you want to build a BRT system, do a study there, talk to the entire workforce, um, and come up with a solution that really benefits everyone because it's not sustainable if you build a BRT system that makes a lot of paratransit drivers uh, jobless. Um, so I think there is there's still a lot of research to be done. Do you have any plans to apply this research to the real world? Quotation marks. Uh, I don't. I mean, I really enjoyed writing with uh, Scania and I really enjoyed public transport. So if um, there is an opportunity coming up, hi, Scania, if you're listening, um, I would gladly take it. Uh, but I don't think... I think after this, these five intensive months, um, I, I don't think I'm going to jump into a PhD right away. I want to end with a bit more of a general question. How would you describe the future of sustainable development in general? I think it's going to be an integral part of every company. Uh, we have to think about that it can't just be one sustainability office, but you really have to make every single decision uh, with the thought of who's benefiting from it, um, how are we disturbing the environment by this decision, uh, how is it economically sustainable. So it really has to be ingrained 
uh, in every single part of the of decisions that you make. Not even not only in a uh, company perspective, but also in your own life. Uh, all right. Then before we leave here, I would like to ask you one more question that we plan on asking every single person that would come on this podcast. Um, what is your favorite memory or the most valuable skill you feel you've learned in this Master of Sustainable Development? Uh, I think the most valuable lesson is how many different aspects of sustainability there are. I mean, even just looking at you or Rachel, what we're, we researched and what our interests are, they're so widespread and still it is part of sustainable development. And my personal favorites, I mean, we did so many great things. I think Uppsala is an amazing student town. Uh, I loved Vyboy last year, um, skiing in Oare, uh, hanging out at a campfire, um, I think it's, it was a great decision to move to Uppsala to do my master's. Oh, that's great to hear. I share that, I share that <laughs> feeling. <laughs> I share that feeling. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Well, Laura, <clears throat> thank you so much for answering all these questions and taking the time to talk to you, us about your work. Good luck with finishing your research. And thank I you. guess we will hear from you very soon again in the next episode, I believe. That's true. That's going to be me and Rachel talking about... Greenhouses, I think. All right. <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear about it. And yeah, see you, see you in the next episodes. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. So fun talking to you. This podcast was produced by Laura Messner, Rachel Gradin, and Olivier Rostang. This episode was hosted by Olivier Rostang and edited by Laura Messner. We would like to thank Jacob Rosin for providing us with the funky beats.